You know, when we started meeting in this facility, I think two years ago, there was a spring day just like this. And the rain was so loud that with the speakers, you still couldn't be heard. So I'm thrilled it's the gentler pitter-patter this morning. Let me pray again briefly. Lord, would you help me speak clearly as I ought? And God, would you give us all hearts that are open to what you have to say to us. Lord, would you help us to discern, to be clear on, and then to obey, to follow through on the things you're speaking to us, your church, this morning. Honor your Son, Jesus, in that, in his name. Amen. If you're here last week, you know we talked about in the Garden of Eden that theft was the first of our forebears, our ancestors' sins. That Adam and Eve, Eve first, then gave to Adam, they stole the only thing in all the earth that could have been stolen. They broke the only command that could have been broken. They stole the fruit from the tree that God would said, that's reserved for me. And yet, there was something that precipitated that sin, wasn't there? Because the first of human sins was precipitated or it was brought about by slander and by lies. So if you remember Satan's word to Eve in the garden, he says cunningly, has God really said you can't eat from any of these trees? I mean, you can sense the incredulity in his his question, like I can't believe he'd say this. And of course, even there, he twists the word. God hadn't said any of the trees. He just said this one singular tree. But Satan was impugning God. He was slandering God's character. Because this is the good, gracious, loving, benevolent God who's put together this perfect garden in creation for Adam and Eve and set them in it with all the blessings. And yet, through this initial temptation, Satan is twisting God's character and command through slander. And then, more boldly, the father of lies calls God. This is the God who cannot lie, who tells the truth. Satan calls God a liar. When he says, you won't die if you eat this fruit, God is lying to you. God said, if you eat it, you'll die. Satan says, oh no, God's lying. You won't die. Eat it. So, What you've got in the story of the fall, you've got our forebears' original sin, this theft, taking what God had prohibited, but that theft is precipitated by slander and lies. If you know the movie or book version of King Kong, you know this King Kong's on the top of the Empire State Building, it's the bullet's and the planes that kill him, right? And he falls, tumbles all the way down to the ground. But the famous last line is, it wasn't bullets, it wasn't men, it wasn't planes. It was beauty that killed the beast. Well here, theft was that first sin, but it was slander and it was lies that led to the theft and to the first sin. We are this morning in the ninth of our study of the Ten Commandments, or the Ten words, I am not going to give my usual disclaimer this morning and explain how we're going through these. You guys listened to last week's study just to get that, if you would. If you've got a study sheet or your Bible, we're in Exodus 20, verse 16, 
God says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't speak a falsehood, deception, or lie about someone else. Now, in its singular or narrowest sense, this is about being called into a setting in which you are acting as a witness. You know, back in the day when these were given, business was transacted in the gates of a city. And so if someone's made a claim against you or me, they'd call us to the gates of the city, and then we would marshal our witnesses. It'd be like our court of law today. So very narrowly, this command is saying, when you are called to be a witness in any kind of hearing, when someone's trying to get at justice or the truth of of the matter, when you come in as a witness, you must tell the truth. When you bear witness, you must tell the truth. Now, like the other commands, we understand that this one is the epitome of the worst of lies. Remember when we looked at adultery or murder, we said those are the epitome of the worst of violence or being unloving. Well, this is the worst of lies. To come into a situation where someone else's, ultimately perhaps their life is on the line, And you come in and through your lies, you destroy them. You cause them harm. This is the worst of the lies. And so really, this command is not only about not bearing false witness in some kind of judicial setting, but it's really a command against lying in any or every form. Now, we don't use the terms today like false witness usually. We typically use a word called slander. And witness with the judicial sitting is a little narrower, but slander sort of more broadly fits what we're talking about this morning. Slander by definition is the act of saying something false and damaging to another person's reputation. It's purposely malicious statements against someone else. To bear false witness is to lie. Not all lies are slander, but all slanders are lies. This, like the other ones, this is a huge issue when you read through the Bible, telling the truth or lying, the prohibition or the positive side of the statement. It's a huge issue. So I've just picked out some selected texts as we have with the other of the ten words, and you can follow with me. Starting in the Old Testament, in Exodus 23, verses 1 and 2, you shall not bear a false report. Don't take a false report to someone else. Don't join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. And you'll see generally in the definition of slander, malice is part of the motivation, it's assumed. But in bearing false witness, you see the same thing, that malice or hatred is almost always part of the equation or the underlying motivation. And you see that here, don't be a malicious, hateful witness. Uh, Don't follow the masses in doing evil nor shall you justify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice. By the way, later, if you can read these two verses and then put them in the context of Jesus' sham trial and crucifixion, you'll see this is exactly what was done to the Son of God. Exodus 23, verses 1 and 2. Leviticus 19, 15 and 16, do no injustice in judgment. Again, judicial setting in mind. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people. You're not to act against the life of your neighbor. Don't use your words 
to harm intentionally your neighbor. If you go to Psalm 15, David in this psalm, he asks a question. It's a loaded question. He says, Lord, who can abide? Who can go and live? Who can spend time in your tabernacle, in your tent where the Ark of the Covenant is, where your holy presence is? Lord, who can go up to your hill and hang out with you? What kind of a person can do this? And David in answering the question says, well, to be able to do that, you've got to walk with integrity. And you've got to do right or righteousness. And you must speak truth in your heart. You know what comes out of our mouth actually comes from our heart. Truth has to be present in our heart. He does not slander with his tongue. He does no evil to his neighbor. He takes up no reproach against his friend. You can see in David answering this question, God, who gets to hang out with you truth-telling And a refusal to tell lies is at the heart of what God's after. Truth-telling and not lying. I happen to be in Proverbs 6 this morning in my Bible time. Proverbs 6, 16 and 19. Do you know of the seven things that God hates? Six things God hates. Seven are an abomination to Him. Of the seven that God hates abominably, two of them have to do with the words out of our mouth. Lying and false witness. That's pretty significant. God hates lying and slander or false witnesses. Stick with me as we do. We're just rolling through the text. We're, we're building the point this is important to God. Proverbs 10, 18. He who conceals hatred has lying lips. He who spreads slander is a fool. And remember, we tend to use fool in kind of a secondary sense that it's a small thing. He's just a foolish boy, or it's a little folly, or it's a little foolishness. But in Proverbs, in the Bible, folly is is to be morally culpable. We're not supposed to be foolish. We're supposed to be spiritually wise. So this is not a small thing when it says it's what a fool does. Proverbs 25, 18, slander is destructive. It's like a club. It's like a sword. It's like a sharp arrow when I bear false witness against my neighbor. You know, you really can't lie about your neighbor, and then later say, I I didn't mean anything by it. I didn't mean any harm. I'm so sorry that happened. No. It doesn't work that way. Destruction is a part of what we do when we slander and lie about someone else. Part and parcel. It's destructive. It's a club. It's an arrow. Proverbs 24, 28, and 29. Don't be a witness against your neighbor without cause. Don't deceive with your lips. Don't say, thus I shall do to him as he has done to me. You can see here, slander is coming from a desire for revenge in this case. And he says, I will render to the man according to his word. This person is saying, someone's harmed me. They've wronged me. They did me wrong. And I'm going to get my revenge against them because I'm going to slander them. I'm going to lie about them and get them in trouble. And this is a total distortion. It's a perversion of the penalty God states in Deuteronomy 19 for the sin of slander. This person has said, I've been wrong, so I'm going to slander someone to take my revenge. But the penalty against slander, Deuteronomy 19, 18, and 19 says, you shall do to him just as he intended to do to his neighbor. 
the rest will hear and will be afraid and will never again do such an evil thing. See, God said, if I slandered you, if I told a lie about you with a motive to a particular end, God says the judgment was, I was to get what I was trying to have done to you. This was justice. You know, in the Old Testament, in the law, the lex talionis, the law of reprisal was what was harmed or what was taken is to be repaid in kind. And that was the penalty for lies and slanders. This person's trying to turn it on their head and say, through slander, I'm going to bring about justice. Slander never brings about justice. And the motivation here is vengeance, personal revenge. So you can see in the Old Testament, and this certainly isn't all, but this is a common and repeated refrain. If you move to the New Testament, you certainly see more of the same. Uh, Jesus in John 8.44, Jesus, when he's speaking to this group of religious Jews, tells them that counter their claims to be the spiritual descendants of Father Abraham, Jesus says, no, really, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. You're not, you don't have the faith of Abraham. You're not his spiritual descendants, even if you are his physical descendants. He was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Satan's a liar, and he always lies. And his lies are always destructive. They're always meant to harm and to do damage. And when we join in lies and slander about others, we have taken the side from our actions and the words of our mouth with the father of lies. And like him, we are bringing about death and destruction. And in the long war of heaven against hell and God against Satan, we are taking the side of hell and Satan when we choose to use lies and slander as tools in our arsenal against others. We are taking the side of the enemy. Now, when you move with Paul into the epistles, Colossians and Ephesians have some similar passages here, both written by Paul. In Colossians 3, 8 and 9, Paul there says, basically, since you're no longer who you were, you've been raised up, you've got this new life in Christ, he says, because that's true, do this, put aside anger and wrath, intense, hateful anger, slander, abusive speech. You know, the the whole theme of the words of our mouth speech in general, we're not covering on the basis here, but Paul touches on it here. Abusive speech, the way we talk to others in an abusive or derogatory sense. Put that all away from your mouth. Don't lie to one another because you've put aside the old self with its evil practices. When we lie about others, when we slander others, when we speak in a way that we know and we intend to be intentionally harmful, Paul says it's evil, just like in the Old Testament, just like in Exodus, Deuteronomy. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. He includes there at the end of the list, along with all malice. Again, because these sins are born of hatred towards other people. It's hateful, born of hatred. 
In the New Testament, by the way, the word here is blaspheme in the Greek. You know, we usually think of blaspheme as a lie against God. The Sanhedrin accuses Jesus of blasphemy, a lie against God when he says he's the Son of God. But blaspheme is a lie against other people as well. Same thought here, horizontally. I find it interesting in the last book of the Bible, you know, when we think of who's going to be in hell, who's going to be separated from God forever. You know, it comes down to brass tacks in this. The last book of the Bible talks about this. And we tend to think of the guys like Hitler or Stalin. When we think of mass murderers, you know, uh, uh, people who've done great harm, they've made the news from it. But it's interesting when you look at the lists, uh, who are included by type in those groups that do not join King Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth, in the new Jerusalem forever, where there's blessing and glory and peace and life sort of the Garden of Eden restored and made bigger and better. So in Revelation 21.8, the part of all liars is in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's what we would call hell, the lake of fire. All liars' part is in the lake of fire. This is serious business. Or in Revelation 22.15, this is as the whole Bible is winding down. And in Revelation 21 and 22, we've talked about the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and all its blessings. And as we're being told about who's not in the new Jerusalem, who's outside that place of God's blessing, it's the dogs, the sorcerers, the immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. Those who love and practice lying are in this group that are shut out from the new Jerusalem and eternal life with King Jesus. So in our minds, I think we oftentimes minimize the significance. It's just a little lie. It's just a little of this. It's just a little of that. But in God's eyes, lying and slander, bearing false witness in in any category, in any way, it's serious business. Serious indeed. I would be remiss if I didn't include the issue of gossip Under this category, gossip is not uh, technically a part of slander. A slander requires malice and lies, and gossip doesn't have to include either of those. And yet gossip is oftentimes as destructive as slander or lies. A gossip as a person is one who habitually reveals personal or sensational facts about others. Gossip in what we do, what we say, is the personal details of another person's life being unnecessarily aired by others. Back to Proverbs for just a second. This one really hits it on the head for me. Proverbs 18.8. The words of a gossip are like dainty morsels. They go down into a person's innermost parts. Uh, Don't we, in our sinful disposition, don't we get this unholy satisfaction about hearing gossip about just the juicy facts about someone else's life or telling someone else this thing that they don't know about our mutual friend or someone else? But there's this unholy, unsavory delight that our carnal natures get in trading and dealing in gossip. When we gossip, we're saying, 
something about another person we probably wouldn't say if they were present or if we knew our words would repeated would be repeated to them so why do we gossip and why do we slander why do we speak negatively or evil or in lies about other people what's the payoff what's the motivation you know one you've seen in these verses already is just hate or revenge that sense that I don't like someone, they've harmed me, or I think they've harmed me, I don't like them, and so out of a spirit of hate, we're going to harm them back. We're going to take our revenge. We're going to make sure they feel as badly as we do. You know, even if someone has harmed us intentionally, as followers of Christ, we are called on to forgive others and to the degree that we're able to, to bless them instead, or to do good by them as we're able instead. But hate, I'm angry at you, I'm mad at you, I want to get back. Hate is one of the common motivators. There's another that I suspect, though, that we fall into more often than the one of hate, and it's this, that I think oftentimes we have a... uh, sort of a balance or a scale in our mind and that in the cosmic scale of things if someone else in my life goes down I go up if I can make someone else littler than I feel if I can push them down then by comparison I feel like I'm better and I go up and that somehow in these very relative very emotional very subjective scales in our mind If I can make my spouse or my friend or my neighbor or the person at work, if I can make them feel bad, if I can put them down, then I feel better. They go down and I go up. And it's this distorted view of things. And it really, it's bred out of a motivation of of either insecurity or envy or jealousy. I need to feel better about myself. I need to feel better about my place in this world. And so if I speak ill of someone else, they've gone down in the cosmic balance and that means somehow I've gone up. You know, the thing about this is slander, lying, whatever it's born of, it can bring, in a very carnal way, it can bring a temporary sense of satisfaction. And we might even repent of it later, but but even gossip, not even not even blatant lies, even gossip, though, can bring a lifetime of damage into someone else's life. The destruction from our words may last as long as we have breath in this life for a very carnal, very small, very temporary sense of being elevated. You know, when I was young, many years ago, I don't know if they still say this today, You know, if my brother or my friend said something I didn't like about me, then I would say, take that back. And if I was bigger, I could make them, you know, take that back. And that means they apologize, right? I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. I shouldn't have said ABC. Take it back. Do you know, really, there's no taking our words back. We can never bring them back. There is no take it back when we've spread lies, slander, gossip, about other people. There is no taking it back. So we say something to one person about another. A week later, how many years have heard that same thing? We don't know, do we? And we can't know, can we? 
There's no way to know. So we say something, and that, whatever we said, it takes on a life of its own. It's like a ball rolling down the hill. We don't know how far it goes. We don't know what permutations it takes on as it goes its way through one person and another. But as to our words, there's no taking it back. I saw part of a movie that had just an outstanding illustration of this. I haven't seen the, the whole movie, and I'm not recommending it. I'm just using part of it as an illustration here. The movie was Doubt, and it's about a priest, a Roman Catholic parish, in which there's some wonder if a priest is abusing young boys. And so the nuns of the parish are calling him into question and, and wondering what might be going on, and so he's trying to put them off. He's trying to silence them through guilt, but he uses a pretty good illustration to do so. So in his weekly homily there during the Mass, he tells this story. A woman goes into her priest and she asks for forgiveness for the sin of gossip. And the priest tells her, go to your home, go to the rooftop. This is in a city and so it's a flat rooftop. Take a pillow with you, cut the pillow open, and then come back. And so she does. And she comes back to the priest. And he says, did you do what I told you? She says, yes, I did. He says, what happened? She says, the feathers flew everywhere. He says, good. Now, go and pick them all up. And she says, I can't, it's impossible. I can't find them all. And he says, precisely. And that is the sin of gossip. And we would add, that is the sin of lies and slanders. There's no taking them back. You know, if you watch the news, you'll see occasionally big, bold print, someone's dirty laundry being aired publicly. You know, our culture delights in this, by the way. We are a debased culture. And you have to look no further than TV. And I, I'm not opposed to TV. I'm not opposed to electronics. I'm not opposed to media of any sort. But all you have to do is look at what we produce and watch to know that we revel in our own dirty laundry, in our moral failures. That's what we exploit on TV. It's ridiculous. And that's what's going on here. When we gossip about someone else, we are simply trading in lies and false witnesses and innuendo and things that we can never go and we can never bring them back. And if you see that headline splash big in the newspapers or it's on all the talk shows, do you know that if there's actually a correction later, does it make the same headlines? Does it make the same bold print? Is it on all the talk shows? You know what? It's not. And so that lie that looms spectacular, it's what everyone remembers. And the little corrections later, a small, small percentage of the people who heard the initial lie are all that hear that correction. That lie goes on seemingly forever. Uh, young ladies and gentlemen, middle school and up, let me talk to you for just a second. Do you know that we live in an age of cyber bullying? Do you know that our talk, the words of our mouth, have come down so significantly that now, with, with uh, the internet, with Facebook, with tweets and Twitter and circles... Uh, do you know now we're interacting, we're talking more than ever? Either online, you know, in print or verbally. We're communicating more than ever. And you know, we live in an age now when kids have been bullied so extensively, and not just on the playground at school, 
But online, they've been so shamed and humiliated by their peers that they've committed suicide. They've taken their own lives. You can do a search online. You'll see these repeatedly around the country. Hateful speech against a person for one reason or another so significantly that they lost all hope. These are kids. These are middle and high school aged kids taking their lives because of the words set against them by others. So when, when you're on Facebook or in your Google circles or your Twitters or your tweets, whatever the form of communication, or you're talking with your friends, young guys, young gals, you've just got to be so careful that you're not destroying someone else through your words, through what you're sharing, through what you're saying, through what you're passing on. We're not getting into what the Bible talks about the upside of speech, God's commands, what our speech about others or to others should look like this morning. But we have to be so careful that we're not repeating things we don't know are true or sometimes that we're not repeating things that we maybe know are true but aren't helpful to restate to someone else. Just because it's true doesn't mean we should say it. Just because it's true doesn't mean we should repeat it. So young guys and gals, you are part of a generation who is using speech to murder, to kill other people through malice and lies. We've got to be so, so careful. And all of us, are we speaking of others the way we want them to speak of us? One of the mental issues I've tried to use in the past just to keep my speech in line is ask myself, if the person were here, what would I say in front of them? Not to them, but about them. If they were here, would I say this thing? If they were here, would they say what I said was not true? Or what did I say it in an ungracious or an unwholesome way? If that person that I'm talking about, and sometimes, sometimes, we need to talk about others. We've got to figure something out. We've got to ask, how are they doing? All of this, this is within wisdom. But we default to these gutters where the talk about others just goes downhill fast because of our sinful proclivity. So, James 3 is a great passage. Look at that. Linger over it in your leisure. But James there talks about the tongue, which just means our words, what we say. And he says, you know, this little little thing, the little tongue that's part of our body, that part from which our speech comes, it says it can set a whole forest on fire. And that it has poison. And that we've got to be careful when we're speaking to or about others because we can set things on fire. We can poison other people. We can destroy other people through what we say about them, whether it's true or not. We have to be so careful about the way we talk about others. You know, flipping to the positive side of things, A Christian should be truth-tellers. We should tell the truth. And for Christians to in any way delight in lie as Christ's followers is really oxymoronic. It's just counter everything Jesus stood for and everything we as Christians should stand for. So our Savior calls himself, John 14, 6, the truth. Jesus is the truth embodied in him. The Holy Spirit in us is the Spirit of truth, John 16, 13. The truth 
that Jesus prayed the Father would use to set us apart in holiness for Him, His Word is the truth. John 17, 17. In Acts 1.8, when Jesus commissions His disciples, you shall be My witnesses, you shall be My disciples, you're going to be the ones who go out and tell others, you're going to declare the truth about Me. Christians are called as witnesses to the truth of Jesus. With all these things being true, how can we not be truth-tellers? How can we devolve to lies or gossip or slander when this is true of our Savior? You know, a great verse for a life motto, Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth, that's important. Lies won't help anyone. Speaking the truth is important. And then the motivation behind it, in love. I could speak the truth in a way that I know is just going to harm Andrew. I could say, I know this is the truth, and guys, listen to what I found out about Andrew. Be the truth wouldn't be love. I could tell lies and tell myself it's loving, but it'd fail on that count too. Speaking what's true in love with that motivation, that's what we're after. Guys, I've said it before, let me just say it again. We as Christians do not do this. As a culture, we do not do this. We don't tell each other the truth, and we don't love each other enough to tell each other the truth in love. It doesn't happen. Rarely. Rarely. So for us, make a commitment. If you go away hearing nothing else this morning, here Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love, that that's my goal as Christ's followers, to speak the truth in love. Now, there's a benefit to keeping this word or this command. You know when we refuse lies and slander and gossip, and when we instead speak the truth in love, do you know we're part of what God's doing in this world as truth-tellers? You know the most exciting thing anyone can participate in is to know God, to know God as He is, and to be a part of what He's doing. What He's doing is eternal. What we do in this earth, I think it's right out of the gladiator, echoes throughout time. We would say throughout eternity or through the ages. So when we as Christians come into this relationship with God by faith in Jesus, we come to know the living and true God. That's the most exciting thing that could ever happen to anyone. And then when we refuse lies and gossip and slander, we get to participate through our truth-telling in what God is doing on this earth. You know, as Christians, we've been left here to tell the truth, to be witnesses to Jesus, to make disciples among all the nations. And that all comes about as we tell the truth. This is who Jesus is. This is what He's done. This is what you're called to. This is what a glorious life under His Lordship looks like. So, maybe to put a period on it too, think of this. When we stand before Jesus face to face and eye to eye at the judgment seat of Christ, not for our salvation, but as Jesus reveals the fruit of our lives as they really were, not as we hoped or thought, but as it really was, we won't regret a single lie we left unspoken or a single truth we spoke in love. When we stand before King Jesus and He reviews our life, 
We won't regret a single lie or bit of gossip we left unspoken or a single bit of truth we spoke in love. As I close, have you ever been the object of gossip or lies or slander? Probably most of us at some point in our life have. I would say this to you. Uh, Take heart because you're in good company. If you've been slandered, if you've been lied about, you're in good company. You know there's no one who's been more lied about, slandered, than God himself. And seriously, if you think about this in the Garden of Eden, the object of the first lies and slander is God himself. He's the first object of lie and slander. And when God the Son comes to earth in the Incarnation, he's called illegitimate. He's called a drunkard and a glutton. The sham trial brought about to condemn him is based on false witnesses. Today, when people say there is no God, or Jesus isn't God, or if there is a God, he's unloving, or the Bible isn't true, or it's not God's word, guys, all of those are slanders and lies. There's no one that's more slandered of, lied about, than God himself, or Jesus Christ. So if you've been slandered, Take heart, because you're in good company. How does Jesus respond to slander? This is easier said than done. But you know, Jesus' friend Peter lived with him, walked with him, saw him in his humility, saw him in his crucifixion, saw him in his glory on the mountain of transfiguration. And years later, when he writes his first epistle, he says of Jesus, while being reviled, Jesus was reviled, harsh things, verbal assaults, bitter statements, mean-spirited, insulting words, that's what revile means, were said about Jesus. How did he respond? He didn't revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. You know, you and I can't try to protect our own reputations, by the way. Almost certainly all of us at some time, you'll be lied about, you'll be slandered, there'll be gossip, true or untrue about all of us. And you can't get caught up in trying to satisfy your own sense of your reputation or I've got to clear it all up. You never can and it won't happen. And even if you tell the truth to people, many of them won't believe you anyway. So don't worry about it. Jesus didn't. And it says he entrusted himself to the one who judges rightly. And when you feel lied about or slandered, you tell the Lord, Lord, I I give you my reputation. Lord, I forgive them in Christ's name and I give you my reputation and my concerns. Lord, would you, the one who judges rightly, would you take care of that? I won't. My hands are off. Would you take care of that for me? You know, wonder of wonders at the end of the day is the slandered, belittled, hated, rejected, sovereign creator God dies for slanderers, liars and gossips when Jesus hangs on the cross for all our sins and all our slanders against him and against each other. We indeed follow a slandered Savior. Last word. We're called to forgive others in Jesus' name and trust ourselves to the one who judges rightly and determine to speak the truth in love like our truth-telling, truth-loving Savior. Amen. Father, God in heaven, 
Lord, uh, our old sinful natures, man, we love to lie, we love to get out of things, we love to paint things better than they are of us or worse than they are against others. Lord, would you help us to have done with evil practices, evil words, evil motivations. Lord, would you help us to remember that as those who have trusted in your Son, we have died with him. That old sinful nature of ours that can only lie or be destructive. Lord, it's been put away and we serve you as those raised to new life in your Son, Jesus. Father, for any here this morning who don't yet know you, would you help them to see you clearly, to desire you, to give all their sins, Lord, whether it's lies or slanders, give them over to Jesus' death on their behalf. God, would you help them to find in you the Savior that saves to the uttermost. And Father God, would you help us to be those who speak the truth in love as your loving Son, our Savior Jesus, did. In Jesus' name, amen.